0: Welcome to the September 19th, 2023 podcast of Wisdom Today. Hello, my name is Bill Kelly and I'll be your host today. Today we'll be going over Proverb 19, but before we begin, let's open in prayer. Father God, I thank you for anyone listening to this podcast today. Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them. Lord, that they would know that you love each and every one listening today. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Proverb 19, beginning with verse 1. Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than one who is perverse in his lips and is a fool. Also, it is not good for a soul to be without knowledge, and he sins who hastens with his feet. The foolishness of a man twists his way, and his heart frets against the Lord." Wealth makes many friends, but the poor is separated from his friend. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who speaks lies will not escape. Many entreat the favor of the nobility, and every man is a friend to one who gives gifts. All the brothers of the poor hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He may pursue them with words— yet they abandon him. He who gets wisdom loves his own soul. He who keeps understanding will find good. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who speaks lies shall perish. Luxury is not fitting for a fool, much less for a servant to rule over princes. The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger and his glory is to overlook a transgression. The king's wrath is like the roaring of a lion, but his favor is like dew on the grass. A foolish son is the ruin of his father, and the contentions of a wife are a continual dripping. Houses and riches are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Laziness casts one into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. He who keeps the commandment keeps his soul, but he who is careless of his ways will die. He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what he has given. Chasten your son while there is hope, and do not set your heart on his destruction. A man of great wrath will suffer punishment, for if you rescue him, you will have to do it again. Listen to counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. What is desired in a man is kindness and a poor man is better than a liar. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil. A lazy man buries his hand in the bowl, and will not so much as bring it to his mouth again. Strike a scoffer, and the simple will become wary. Rebuke one who has understanding, and he will discern knowledge. He who mistreats his father and chases away his mother is a son who causes shame and brings reproach. Cease listening to instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. A disreputable witness scorns justice, and the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. Judgments are prepared for scoffers and beatings for the backs of fools. Friends, I have a special treat for you today. I have Jairus Tripp, a former Karis Bible College student, and now he is working on staff with Karis. So, Jairus, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate you taking the time.
1: Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here, Bill.
0: Good. Well, we've just finished reading Proverbs nineteen, and there's lots of good stuff in here. But which verse stuck out to you today, Jaris?
1: Well, as you challenged me to read Proverbs nineteen, um, I really started just kind of going through, it, and the verse that stuck out the most was Proverbs nineteen fifteen, which actually says, "Laziness casts one into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger." Um, as I was reading across Proverbs nineteen. I kept just praying about it and asking the Lord, and I believe he's been showing me recently in a lot of areas of my life where I'm dealing with this desire for vision, this desire to have something to work towards in life besides just uh, going through life. Um, And as I've been reading through this and just kind of meditating on this, um, this past year I've had a lot of different hardships, different things that have come at me. Um, And one of the most pressing questions that I've had on my heart is, Father, I desire to have vision for my life. And something that uh, I believe that I've battled this past year and just gone through is this sense of directionlessness. And so I know this is quite a a different take possibly on this verse than maybe a lot of people would like to abandon. Proverbs is very practical. It's very uh, beautiful in essence. Okay. But I'd really like to kind of pull in more of a spiritual aspect when going through the practicalities of Proverbs.
0: Well, Jairus, thanks for sharing. And, you know, in the Bible, in Habakkuk 2.2, it says the people perish for lack of vision. And it says not only do we have to have a vision, but Habakkuk tells us we're to write the vision down. So if anything were to happen to us, it should be carried over by people who, you know, succeed us. So, I mean, it's important to have a vision. So, I mean, you're a young man. You're 22. Jairus, if you would, tell the audience who you are, where you came from. Talk about your early childhood.
1: Yeah, so, Bill, I actually grew up in the backwoods of North Carolina. Um, I'm a country boy and lived close enough to the beach we could go almost any weekend we wanted to. Um, Growing up, I was raised by wonderful parents. Um, They really taught me about Jesus. They led me into relationship with him. Uh, They carried me to a wonderful church at a young age where I began to learn about worship and spontaneous and acting in the gifts and callings of the Holy Spirit. Um, And so from a very young age, I've actually had the opportunity to grow up with some amazing people of God. My pastors have been missionaries, um, in a lot of parts of South America, and had come back to our little town of Beulahville, North Carolina, um, to just preach the gospel and share with us what they had learned. Uh, But I know you had mentioned to me earlier, you'd like for me to share my salvation story. And I can't remember younger than this, but there's one specific moment that I remember, and it's super holy, you know, it's the most holy salvation story you've ever heard before. Um, I actually used to have this extreme fear of hell as a kid. Um, And it wasn't anything my parents taught me. It was mainly just uh, the surrounding area, a lot of things that were taught in our area growing up. And I remember one morning waking up, and I went to my parents' bathroom. I'm calling out to them. I'm looking for them. I'm like, where are they? And I just remember this thought just hits my head. Oh, no, the rapture's come. Jesus has gone, and I've been left here abandoned. So that's one of the most distinct, earliest memories. I believe I was six or seven when that happened. Um, and I called out the God. I said, Jesus, please forgive me. I love you. I give my life to you. Um, and ever since then, I've been on kind of this journey with the Lord, uh, learning about who I am in Him. And that was a large decision of why I came to Caris. So growing up, I, I joined my worship team around the age of 12 and have basically been uh, part of worship has been a large part of my life ever since. Um, and so when deciding on a college to go to, I really, really was looking at Bethel um, out in Redding, California, because my worship leader had actually graduated from that school and had come back to minister to us. Um, and so I was like, man, God, I really want to go to like a Bible college when I graduate high school. I don't want to go to community college. Like I have the intention to live my life for you. And my grandma reached out to me one day and she said, Jairus, have you heard of this college named Keris? And I was like... I don't know what that is. Who even runs the college? What's going on? And she said, well, it's ran by Andrew Walmack." And I was like, I've never even heard of Andrew. I don't know. I don't know who this guy is. Who's Andrew? And so within like two or three weeks, she had booked us plane tickets to come out to Colorado. She said, I booked our whole family flights. We're going to go. And this was in my 10th grade year. And so we came out to Kyrus. I looked around and I was like, I don't know, like I'm open to it, but I have no idea what this school teaches or ministers on. And, I didn't realize it, but she had actually had a vision about me being on stage at Keris way before I even knew anything. And so 12th grade comes around, and it was my last time coming out to Keris. This was now my third trip. I come out by myself for Campus Days in 2019, and the Lord just gives me immediate peace to pursue it. My parents were already prepared. They were like, uh, we've got you covered. We've got everything sent. And by August, I was headed out to Karis. Um And so that's kind of been my journey now. I've graduated second year. Um, and now I'm just working in the ministry. I work in CARES Marketing, and I have a lot of fun there.
0: Wow. You know, you bring up such so good points, and, you know, you are so fortunate that you are at such a, an early age. You know, you're 22 years old, and yet you act like you're much older than that. Jairus, I want you to talk about your salvation and the fact that is that the most important decision you've ever made, and tell the audience why.
1: Yeah. So, Bill, I do believe that my salvation was the most important decision that I've ever made. And having come to Karis, having come out here being surrounded by this amazing community, I've only learned more about what salvation actually means. Um, This past year, the Lord's really shown me that salvation is more than just what's taught in a lot of churches today. It's more than just is, hey, just get saved, you know. A lot of things growing up that uh, were around me, a lot of what pastors would, would preach on is just come get saved, you know, come to church, enjoy the word, um, and you'll die someday and enter into glory. And I knew that I was always meant to live for more than that. My my home church actually preached more than that. But I didn't know exactly what that looked like. And these past two years, the Lord has just been ministering to me concerning salvation and how beautiful it actually is and how it ties into marriage, how it ties into so many other aspects beyond that. So I would say definitely, yes, the most important decision I've ever made is to be saved.
0: Well, there's no question about that. And, and Jairus, you know, the thing I always think about when it comes to salvation is that is the only decision we ever make mm-hmm. that actually affects eternity. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about forever and ever and that's one of the things so many people have a hard time with, Jairus, is that fact of eternity. Because people throughout this country, throughout the world, you know, are, are discarding Jesus like He just doesn't... You know, He's not a factor. And they think that when they die, that it is an end. And, and it's not an end. And, you know, I'm glad you've come to that realization. But, Jairus, you know, when I see you on stage... There's something about worship, and it says God inhabits the praises of his people, and the most important thing of praise is actually worshiping and giving glory to God. But Jairus, when you're on stage, it is wonderful to see, and I want to thank you on behalf of all second-year students, because it's just wonderful to see you up there, and there's one thing about entering in to the presence of God, but there's something special about actually singing and doing it musically. Your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, so this is a really fun topic that I've actually uh, talked about to a lot of people. Um, And one way that I like to to talk about it is I'm very fortunate um, because I knew at a young age that I was anointed for worship. I had many people prophesy that over my life um, and would tell me so many times. And the most pure thing, one of the first songs I can ever remember singing as a a young kid was open the eyes of my heart, Lord, open the eyes of my heart. And that song has just echoed throughout my life. And I'm in a season right now where I'm like, Lord, I want the eyes of my heart to be even more open than they were before. Um, And so through this whole journey, I I grew up again. I I mentioned I had a a worship leader who had come from Bethel. um, And I can't say enough how grateful I am for him because he was willing to stick through my stubborn preteen years, (laughs) my years of just uh, slight rebellion. I didn't quite enter the full rebellious stage because the Lord got a hold of me. Um, But my slight rebellion, he was there to just exemplify and and show me what spontaneous true worship looks like. And a lot of people will call uh, the worship that I enter into like spontaneous or just however you want to say it, and that's just a category. But I like to call it as true worship. Um, for me, when I'm up worshiping on stage, when I'm up leading people into the presence of God, it's like, I realize that it's such an honor. First of all, it's amazing that I have the opportunity to do that. And I'm so blessed to be able to do it with the amazing people at, at Karis Bible college. Um, but for me, it's, it's a lot more, uh, a lot of what people grow up with, with worship is we're just going to sing some songs. We're just going to, you know, kind of go through the motions. Um, and we're just going to, you know, praise God. And for me, it, always comes back to relationship with him. Like, yeah, we have the opportunity to just shout things at him, you know, to shout things in his name or just to sing random songs. But I go back to to what he's been showing me these past two years, really, with relationship with him and and how it correlates to marriage. And I like to kind of bring up to people, I'm like, well, if your spouse entered into the room and all of a sudden you just started talking about how great and amazing and how wonderful she was, but you weren't taking a moment to actually recognize what she wanted to speak to you about, right, then... You're, you're kind of doing yourself a disservice. Like you're not really taking a moment to hear from the Holy Spirit. You're just kind of fleshing out something. Um, and for me, when I'm, I'm getting up on worship and I'm, I'm singing into the room, there's something that I always like to focus on, um, and that is quite literally just His presence, what the Holy Spirit wants to do in that moment. And, and one of the things I pray when I get up to worship is, you know, Father, I ask that whatever you want to happen, whatever you want to do, would happen today. Like, I invite you into the room. You're obviously already here, but I invite you to move. I invite you to move for all these people, for every one of your kids that are in this room. Because I realize that at the end of the day, it's not me. It never has been me. It's not been my gift, my anointing, my ability, whatever. Realistically, what it is, is it's the Holy Spirit's ability to connect with hearts. And he's ultimately going to do all the ministering. Um, I've been in, in some worship sets actually where the worship leads have just played, uh, just pads, like literally just like pads. And the Holy Spirit has ministered to everybody in the room and has brought everybody down on their faces crying without us even saying a word. And it's been one of the most beautiful worship moments. Um, but that being said, there is a difference. There's, there's a difference with worship. I've come to like, you know, two or three categories. I like to say there's praise and celebration. And that's really fun. That's a lot of what's going to happen in heaven. It happens every time somebody gets saved, right? All of heaven rejoices. And so there's praise and celebration. I like to say that there's, you know, there's intimate worship, which is a lot of what my heart corresponds to. Um, And and since I I mainly operate in that, it's a lot of taking time to hear what Jesus is saying in the room. Um, And I'll never forget, I, I... basically came out the Keras And (laughs) if you look at some of my earlier videos back in 2019, uh, 2020, I was super cookie cutter because I came from this church that was wonderful. But we had floor monitors. We had, you know, uh, uh, just a lot of basic things. And I came out the Keras and they have like click tracks. They have IEMs, you know, inner monitors, all this other stuff. And I just remember being up on the stage and I'm like, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing up here. And it's funny because I actually told him one Monday morning when I first came to Kyrus, I said, Lord, I don't know that I really want to be on worship here. And it wasn't out of a heart of like, no, God, I don't want to be on worship. It was more so me looking at it from a college perspective. And my team back home had been trained so well, had been in so much unity. A lot of things were new and scary for me. And the Holy Spirit just spoke to my heart and he gave me this reassurance. He's like, I didn't give you your gift to you know minister to yourself, but also to minister to others. And I was like, okay. So I went and I auditioned for Karis Worship. I got on and I'm like, God, this is crazy. This is a new team, like super cookie cutter. But I've been able to grow with this amazing team out here. And now we're entering into the place, I believe, where we have a lot of freedom um, to just worship and and, and and genuinely move as the Holy Spirit's leading. Um, and so one of the nights that I actually fondly remember uh, recently that I had was I had a worship night with a friend. Um... And she's absolutely wonderful. Uh, She invited me over. It was 30 to 40 people at a Bible group. And we had an acoustic set. And I mean really acoustic. Like it was hardly anything fancy, just a tile room. So everything echoed. (laughs) And just a bunch of hungry hearts. And the Lord just started ministering to us and through us in that worship night. And we made the determination, you know what? We're just going to let the Holy Spirit do whatever He wants to do tonight. We're not going to hinder it. We're not going to hold it off. Um, and we're just going to let him have his way. So we open up the worship set, two or three songs in. Um, we're just kind of sitting and listening. People come up and give words of exhortation um, to everybody in the room. And eventually we get to this point, I have this vision. And in this vision, I see two angels standing behind me. And a lot of the ways the Holy Spirit speaks to me is I'll see stuff in my heart or I'll, I'll feel it. I don't know exactly how to explain it, but at a young age, I learned how to hear from him. Um, And he'll speak and minister to me. And I just started to sense that there were people in the room that were dealing with anxiety, depression, worry, fear. And I started seeing these arrows of the enemy coming at all these people. They're flaming arrows. And they're they're coming and trying to attack them. And all of a sudden, these two massive swords just come down and just chop all the arrows in half. Like, first of all, that's really cool because that's an amazing vision. Second of all, that's also really cool because who blocks an arrow with a sword? (laughs) Nonetheless, chops it in half, right? And so I, I keep ministering this and I can just feel the weight and the shift of the room, and all of a sudden, I I start getting this vision of Father showing me there's people in the room who needed healing. And this is what a lot of people don't realize can operate in worship, can operate in in, uh, spiritual warfare and all types of different things. But worship was meant to be more than just reciting words off of a screen. There's so much more that entails in it. Um, I've had so many encounters, so many experiences where the Lord has given me visions during worship. He's given me Uh, people to pray for during worship, things to call out in the room. And as a worship leader, as somebody who's anointed, I don't know, I've I've talked to other people if they can sense a shift, and some can, but you can quite literally sense the shift whenever the team joins on with what the Holy Spirit's doing. And it's like the whole room changes in the Spirit. You know, maybe not physically everybody, you know, Sister Margaret's still singing off key, but, you know, everybody just has this, all of a sudden, a unity that happens with the Holy Spirit. And so I called out these two healings, and these two people come up, and I get to pray over them. And it was a taste of something that is not happening in a lot of churches across the world right now. Because everybody wants to commercialize worship. They want to make it all about, you know, the lights, the the sound. Everything has to be like an album quality. And I'm not knocking that. Um, but for me, it's more so about, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do? And I actually started leading into to praying this every time I get up on stage. But it's like, Father, whether I fail or succeed in the eyes of men, let it all be for your glory. Amen. Let it all be about You. So yeah, that's just a little bit about that.
0: <laughs> well, you know you bring up so good things. I'm just going to go to that last comment you made. It says the fear of man brings a snare, mm-hmm. and we need to be mindful of that. And that's something that you could be persuaded mm-hmm. to shift the way you are towards worship, but it's not about us. And yeah. and that's the most important thing. I'm going to I'm going to piggyback up what you said. It's not about us. It's not it's never been about us. And, and that's the hardest thing for some people in this audience to, to you know, you're, some people are just so full of themselves, they don't even understand what that means. It's not about us because that's the way our world currently thinks, Jairus, is what's in it for me? That's usually will be the first question will come out of most people's mouths. What's in it? for me and you can go back all the way to 1960 63 when John F Kennedy was president and even then you know he said ask not what your country can do for you but ask what you can do for your country that was from the president of the United States and times have changed the president we have in the White House now doesn't think that way but anyway let's go back what I'd like to do is let's go back to your journey your beginning first year at Caris a few years ago. Tell us about first year and encourage anyone who may be thinking about coming to Bible College. What's in it for for Caris Bible College? What is good about Caris? Why should they come?
1: Well, man, uh, if you're not coming to Caris, I want to ask you what's wrong. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just messing. But genuinely, I I was kind of skeptical about coming to Caris first because I had never heard of the school. I'd never heard of Andrew. Um, and the real thing that sealed the deal for me was that peace from the Holy Spirit. And I want to advise whoever's listening, um, no matter what the decision is, you have to follow the peace of the Holy Spirit. If you're you you you're considering Karis and you're considering coming out here to Colorado, um, I just ask you, take time to pray and to seek Him, to seek His face. And get before the Lord and be like, Father, if this is something that you desire for me, I ask that you would reveal it to me. And He will, because He's faithful like that. And so that was a major deciding point for me. Um, my first year at Karis was amazing uh, because I the Lord provided for me in ways that I was not necessarily prepared for um, and just through a lot of other things. And it gave me a lot of new learning experiences. But in first year, you really got to kind of break up a lot of the ground that had been solidified throughout your life. Um, talking to a lot of friends, they had the exact same uh, uh, experience where it's like, I've been living this way for so long. And now first year is changing how I see so much of that. It's changing my mindset. It's changing my heart in so many ways and just opening up. And I can't express how amazing it is. And I actually miss this. Like, like, sincerely, I miss uh, having the freedom to do this because I didn't really work a ton in first year. Um, It was just sitting underneath the Word for four hours a day and just meditating. Because there is something about that that quite literally is life-changing. And so I came through first year. I made some amazing friendships. I got to join worship and just was uh, just ministered to by a lot of amazing people. Um, and I prayed about it and I asked the Lord. It's actually funny because uh, a lot of people come out here and they face a lot of hardship because they're taking a step of faith, right? Nothing in the natural normally makes sense when coming to Karis. A lot of people look at it and be like, oh, it's this Bible school. It's not even accredited. Why should I go? Let me tell you something. I don't care if you go to the most accredited university in the world, right? Karis is the one thing that I believe every believer should consider doing because it's going to quite literally change your lifestyle and your walk with the Lord. And he's going to take you further than any accreditation at a college can take you. Um, And so I I basically, I I did first year, graduated in May of 2020 during all the COVID lockdown craziness that happened. And as I was going through all that, I started praying and asking, Lord God, I don't have a job right now. I'd been working as a ranch hand on uh, on like Saturdays, um, just working for like, maybe 50 to a hundred bucks off rent or something with the people that I was staying with. And that was a blessing. But I was like, God, I really feel like I need a job. Like the desires just came on. And, and summer of 2020, I got to work as a ranch hand throughout summer. So I, I was able to get free rent, thankfully. Um, but I really considered, I was like, am I about to go home? Like, am I about to go home and, and spend time with family? Like his first year, it, but my heart really longed for second year. And so I started praying about it and God just started lining up thing after thing, after thing. I was two weeks away from being homeless Um, between first year and second year because my lease with the place I was staying at was ending up and I was looking for another place. I didn't have proof of credit. I didn't have proof of a job. I had been self-employed for most of my life. Um, and so I started looking and I, I called my parents one day and I'll never forget this. I call them and I'm crying on the phone and I'm like, mom, like, I really love you guys, but I want to stay out here. Like I want to stay in Colorado. And they were super supportive but they were like, "Jaris, you need a job. Like, <laughs> you need something to be able to provide for. And I was like, I agree. Like I need a job. And they're like, well, why don't you do this or this? And I was like, look, I could go for any job right now, but I know that he's got something specific for me and I want that. And so I had this desire to work in ministry. I've wanted to work in ministry all of my life. And next thing I know, I get off the phone with my mom and, my, and the Holy Spirit's just like, I want you to text this person right now. And I'm like, okay, like, why? Like, I've already interviewed with them. Like, they told me no, all this other stuff. And he's like, no, text him right now. I'm still learning how to say yes when the Holy Spirit says to do something because <laughs> my natural mind sometimes conflicts. But anyway, I text this guy and literally just ask him, hey, is there anything opening up at cares? Do you have any jobs available? I would love to know. I leave it, I, I leave the uh, place I'll stand at, and I go into town to meet a friend I was going to get into a house over. And as I'm heading into town, the Holy Spirit just speaks to me, and a double rainbow just appears over Woodland, and he's like, my promises to you are yes and amen. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. Show up at my friend's house. He walks out. Hey, I believe you're going to hear about a job within the next week. I feel like the Holy Spirit just told me he's like, okay, cool, sweet, so we're getting somewhere. Next thing I know, this guy texts me back. He's wonderful, and he just texts me. He says, you would not believe this. But I have literally just been promoted, and I've been asked to th- fill three positions on my team, one of them being a part-time position that you could fill. And he's like, I want you on my team. I'm scheduling an interview. And so literally a Holy Spirit moment within the same hour he was promoted, I was asking for a job. Um, and so, But I still needed like all this money and all this other stuff. Well, I, I could go on about all that, but God is good. And I was two weeks away from being homeless. The Lord opened up a house for us. We didn't settle. I want to say that if you're coming out to Karis, don't settle for anything less than God's best for you because he has the best in store for you. Um, we were a few days away from renting out this apartment that was super sketchy and didn't have a contract. lady was like on the fritz. And I just said in boldness to my roommates, again, I'm, I'm almost homeless at this point, I said to my roommates, you guys, this is good, but this is God's best. My roommate wanted to rebuke me. He said, Jairus, this is the only place we have available. You're going to be homeless. What are we going to do? I said, no, I believe God's going to bring something through better. Sure enough, he did. So I enter into second year. Um, everything gets paid for. It's made way through. I get a job. Um, my parents were super supportive during this time because part-time couldn't cover everything, but um, God was able to bring money in for us. And so I'm able to make it through second year. And through second year, I want to say that, like, First year really breaks up the ground, and second year really establishes the root when it comes to relationship with God and ministry and learning who you are with uh, Jesus. And so in second year, it was like everything began to explode. Everything that I learned in first year, everything that I'd gone through in first year, it began to just unravel for me. And it was like, oh my gosh, this is quite literally amazing. I've never seen life this way. I've never seen relationship with God this way. Um, And it just took off from there. And second year had some of its ups and its downs. Um, but I was thoroughly blessed through all of it, and I graduated in May of 2021, um, and it's been phenomenal. It's been phenomenal ever since. I prayed about going to third year. I encourage everybody who does come to Caris, pray about doing a third year, um, because there are some amazing programs, but for me personally, I prayed about it. The Lord said, I would, I want to give this to you, like I would give this to you if you wanted to go into third year worship arts, but everything that I have for you coming up in this season is going to stress you out, and I would Rather that you enjoy it, and I'm like, okay, cool, God, and so that's where I'm at now, working with the ministry now for, I believe, coming up on three years, and basically have transitioned through some jobs, and He's just been growing me and, and teaching me in the season.
0: Well, Jairus, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to Scripture as I usually do, and Romans eight, uh, verse six, it says, "To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace." And I can tell that you obviously are following the Spirit because you have the Spirit with you. It's evident in your eyes. I can all, I always say you can look at somebody's eyes to see if they have the Spirit inside of them. It's so obvious. But the peace part of that verse, you have that as well. And And once you get that peace, and that peace can only come from receiving Jesus and getting to know who he is. But Jairus, one of the requirements of second year is going on a mission trip. If you would, journey back with us and tell us where you went. Tell us some of the highlights of that trip.
1: So this is actually a really fun story. Um, I was, during uh, my second year, Karis basically was restricted from places they could go due to vaccination status of students and just a lot of different things that just kind of compiled together. Um, and so they decided to do just stateside, uh, missions trips. And I was a little bummed about that, but I'd already been kind of out of, uh, country four times for missions before I came to care. So I was like, you know what, let's do something fun. Let's go somewhere fun. So I prayed about it. And next thing I know, I learned that I was going to Wyoming and Wyoming is a beautiful state, but if you drive through the wrong part. A lot of it is just really barren. (laughs) And so um, I learned that I'm going out to um, one of the reservations, the Wind River Reservation out in in Wyoming. And I'm going to pastors uh, Jason and Sarah Lucas. And let me tell you, they are some of the most phenomenal people that I have ever met in my entire life. So we head off for this. I get selected to be on the worship team um, for this trip. And there's just a whole lot of fun things that begin to unravel. Um, and I start uh, getting together set lists with this team. I'm with some amazing, wonderful people that are in my group, um, and we get to lead worship for uh, Pastor Sarah and Jason, and we get to do a lot of wonderful things with them. Um, some of my highlights were was the gas buy-down, where we basically just show up and we put gas in people's tanks. They just pull up, and we just get to bless them. Um, we also did a food drive, which was wonderful. Um, we had uh, just a lot of fun out there with them, But I would say one of the highlights of that trip was getting to see their heart, getting to see the hearts of these people who had laid down their lives to go out to a place in America that's been abandoned and forgotten, quite literally. If you go out to the Wind River Reservation and you go out to a a lot of places out there, it is one of the least looked after places in our nation, I would say. Um, And you quite feel like you are in a different world. A lot of things operate differently. I've heard some wild stories from them. Um, But they know the call that God has placed on their life. And that was extremely admirable to me. So my second year missions trip didn't just end the day that Karis decided for it to end. I actually got to go back to Wind River in my school year. um, And I was invited back by uh, Pastor Sarah, I want to say, sent the invite. But I know Pastor Jason wasn't on it too. And so um, she reached out to me and she said, Hey, Jairus, we'd really love for you to come back. We're going to have a groundbreaking ceremony for our church that we're building You guys, if you don't know, it's extremely hard to get American deeded soil on reservation land. It has to come through some type of farmer who had a deed before everything got restricted and locked down. Uh, They were blessed with the opportunity to be able to get American deeded soil, and they're building a church on it. Right now, I believe they're in some of the final stages of completion, Uh, but it's something that's been awesome to watch, awesome to witness, and, and just see their hearts continuing to pursue this despite every single hardship that's come against them. And so they invited me to come back. This was back in May of, uh, I believe, 2021. Yeah, 2021. And so I uh, talked to my deans. And, and for some reason, I had somehow used up a lot of my absent days. And I talked to one of my deans. I'm like, please, can I please go? It'll be like one Friday, you know, we're going to leave out. And so I got approved from Keris to go. And I head out, and Andrew was ministering that weekend, and so we head out. My truck breaks down like two miles away from Pastor Sarah and Jason's place they had us staying at. And I get out of the truck, and I'm like, oh, Jesus, like, you know, my truck's all broken down and everything. And he just corrects me really quick. He's like, Jairus, you could have broke down 300 miles ago and been stranded in the middle of Wyoming. You're two miles away from your location. I said, Jesus, thank you. <laughs> I made it. We're good. We're, you know, we're safe. So uh, Pastor Sarah came and she helped me out with getting some fluid into my my truck and uh, the trans was just kind of out of commission because the radiator blew and stuff. But I was like, God, I choose not to focus on that. I'm going to focus on why I'm out here this weekend, which is to praise and worship. And you guys, there is such a thing such as spiritual warfare when you're entering into these places. And I can't describe it fully. But the feeling that happens when you challenge an atmosphere of oppression that has been in a place for so long with praise and worship to God with other believers, there is something powerful and wonderful that happens. And so getting the opportunity to quite literally go out to the Wind River Reservation to worship with fellow believers and to proclaim and to declare that weekend that God was moving Um, in that part of our nation that God was going to begin moving. He'd already been moving, but he's going to begin moving even more powerfully because of the faithfulness and obedience of Pastor Sarah and Jason. It was something that I don't think I've quite ever experienced before because the atmosphere, the feeling of the atmosphere, the shift in the spirit was so powerful. Um, And so the weekend comes to a conclusion, Andrew ministers, and I was in a pickle. This is just a fun uh, wrap-up of the story. I was in a pickle, and I was like, oh, man, my truck's broke down. I don't know what to do about this. And so, uh, next thing I know, Andrew Womack's reaching out and then <laughs> inviting me to ride back with him to uh, Karis because he was just like, oh, you're an employee and you're a student. You need to come back. You guys, let me tell you, Andrew's the most down to earth, most humble person you will ever meet in your entire life. And I hop into his vehicle. We start riding back, and he's just like, hey, you want candy? You want McDonald's? You know, <laughs> whatever. He's offering to buy me all this stuff and take care of me, um, which was awesome. My truck ended up getting taken care of. Um, and I get back to Colorado and next thing I know, my testimony about my vehicle being broken down is being preached in first year by Andrew. And it was just something that I honestly, I can't get over, like whatever missions trip you get on as a second year, wherever God has you going, you cannot allow yourself to minimalize it in your mind saying, oh, well, I wanted to go here. Oh, well, I wanted to go here because he has got something
0: wonderful planned for you. So anyway, you know, I'm I'm gonna piggyback off what you said. And uh we have a fellow second year student who has been to there. She just got back from her trip in Wyoming and she was so impressed by them. She's going back. Yeah. That's where she's gonna go. And she is going to be part of that ministry from now on. Yep. And her and her husband. So I mean, I can testify that what you're saying is true. And Judy and I went to Wyoming about three years ago, and, uh, you know, so much of it's desolate, and a lot of that land that's desolate is owned by Indians, and you can see that. So we didn't actually see that, per se. I don't know exactly when the reservation started, but it is very oppressive there. But anyway, I'm really looking forward to uh, my mission trip. We're going to Alaska but anyway, um, Jairus, let's, let's switch gears just a little bit. You talk about a mission trip. I just feel like telling this to the audience because, Jairus, my feeling is every day when you step out the front door of your apartment, house, whatever it is you're living in, is a mission field. Everywhere you go is a mission field. It doesn't matter. And a lot of people think, well, you've got to go overseas. No, you don't. You can go across the street and talk to your neighbor. That is the mission field. It's everybody. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Um, Well, there's a lot of truth to that. And I think in American culture, we like to say missions trips are when you have to travel somewhere, just go whatever. And I think it's just a fun categorized term that we've just kind of used over the past few decades. Um, But realistically, your life is a mission field. I had a friend reach out to me once, and we started talking and conversing about life. And everybody has this expectation of how they want their day to go, how they want their week to go, how they want their month to go. And we started talking about how life is literally just a journey with the Lord, how every single day is just a journey. And you can't, I've come to the place now where it's like, I almost want to say, well, that wasn't necessarily bad. That wasn't necessarily good. It's life. Like it's what we're going to go through. Like you're going to face mountains. You're going to face valleys. You're going to face all these different types of things. And a missions field is, is involved in that. So your main focus when you think of a missions field is I'm going out and I'm going to preach the word of God and I'm going to, you know, share the love of Christ with all these amazing people that I've never met before and all this other stuff. And a lot of people will, you know, just minimalize that to a certain week or a certain month of the year. You know, whether their church is sponsoring something or they're going individually or with a group. And realistically, it's a lifestyle. Being in your your calling and being who God has created to be his lifestyle, and he started ministering to me on that recently um, because a lot of my life I, I think I have I've been in a servant mentality I've been in a servant mentality a lot of my life having grown up in church, I grew up in a wonderful church, but a lot of times what happens to us is we get so caught up in works we get so caught up in oh well my my relationship with God is defined by how great I'm doing. And quite literally this year, I have not been able to look to my own ability, my own strength to define my relationship with the Lord. And he's calling me back into this place of sonship. And he's like, I want you to understand sonship, understand that you're loved. Because let me tell you guys something. When you understand that you're loved by God, when you understand that you've been adopted, and he, he quite literally told me, took me through scripture one day, he said, there's no way you can't access me. He said, as a, a child, you've been adopted. As a sinner, you were saved, right? Right. On my cross, I was sacrificed, given up for you, and you received my inheritance, okay? And in salvation, you've been wed to me. You've been wed to Christ. You're the bride of Christ. And so he takes me through all these different things, and he shows me, but he's bringing me back into, when you learn how to walk in your identity with Jesus, and you stand in that identity, there's no way you can't minister to people in every single part of life. And I've come to realize that more and more because a lot of churches will say, oh, you need to go out and you need to like preach, and you need to minister. And it becomes about works a lot of times. A lot of times it becomes about works and you start to beat yourself up because you're just like, well, God, I don't feel like I'm going out and I'm doing all these things. But what it really is, is that's meant to overflow out of relationship because it's his love that's pouring into you that overflows flows onto other people.
0: Well, you know, you really hit the nail on the head, and we've been getting a lot of that from Carrie and from Andrew. It says everything is overflow from the relationship that you have with God. God is the most important person in your life. Even if you're married, God has to come first. And you haven't hit that stage yet, but I am so thankful you're where you are, because when you do meet a girl, the first question you're going to ask is, God... Is she the one for me? That's the most important thing. First of all, receiving Christ. Second of all, choosing a mate that God has for you for the rest of your life. And third, whether you're going to have children and how many you're going to have. Because children are the biggest blessing of all. But Jairus, we only have a few minutes left. What I'd like to do is just leave the, you know, whatever you want to share. Whatever you feel you need. Go ahead. What's on your heart. What would you like to tell the audience?
1: Wow. Uh, (laughs) That's quite the offer. Thank you. Um, Pretty much what I think I would really love to share on is recently regarding relationship with Christ, regarding marriage with Him and some of the revelation that I've received on that. So this past year, uh, the Holy Spirit started leading me into things, and what you just said is amazing. Um, You know, It's like when you meet the right person, you're going to start asking the Holy Spirit. And He's been just taking me on this journey of understanding that literally nothing else in this world can satisfy. Literally nothing can bring you fulfillment. Nothing can bring you satisfaction like he can, like his love can. Um, and I've been in a place this past year where it's it's been revealed to me in so many areas that I'm still seeking some type of satisfaction from something or some type of fulfillment. And he's wanting to bring me into this place of, Jairus, like, just rest in me. Just understand who you are in me. Understand that I love you. And that's the fulfillment of your life. Like that's the fulfillment is to be a child of God, to be a son of God, because out of that, everything else flows. And so this past year, he started taking me through. I started getting engaged with a, a relationship. Um, not engaged quite literally, but, you know, just, you know, testing the waters. All right, God, what is this? What's going on? Because that is a huge desire of my heart is, Father, I desire to marry whoever you have for me. And I quite literally told him one day, I said, God, you're going to have to hit me upside the head with a two-by-four if you want me to pay attention to a girl because I don't want to get sidetracked. I don't want to get sidetracked off of, of what you have for me. And so he started leading me into uh, the season where I started learning about marriage, learning about the things that he has for me. And he took me through some beautiful examples. And while I was with this uh, this person that is is amazing and, and wonderful— The Lord just started showing me, he said, you know, a lot of the ways that you're loving them, I'm loving you. And he started showing me one of the greatest desires I had with them was, Father, I just simply desire to spend time with them and just talk to them and get to know them. And he said, how much more do you think I desire to do that with you? And they would come to me and they'd say, well, you know, you're doing all these things for me. You're doing all this stuff for me. I saw so many cross references of my relationship with God, how he sees me in my relationship with this person. And basically, he started showing me, he's just like, they're, they're, they're exhibiting all these things of like, well, how can I repay you, right, for everything you're doing for me, all this other stuff. And I would simply respond with, I just want to spend time with you. I just want to get to know you. I just want you to know that you're loved and that you're held, you're, you're good. And um, he said, I want to bring you into that. And so I, I wake up one morning and I walk into my kitchen, and this was pretty fun. Uh, I take out the trash, go into my garage, and the Lord just asked me, just pretty bluntly, he's just like, Jairus, what if you were married? And every time you wanted love from your wife, from your spouse, you felt like you had to do something to achieve it. And I was like, God, that would be terrible. That would really be horrible. And he said, well, then why do you feel like you have to be that way with me? Why do you feel like you have to uh, basically achieve some type of point or get to some type of goal Right to receive love from me or receive what I have for you when everything's already been freely given. And I'm somebody, Bill, that basically growing up, I've always wanted to do the right thing. I've wanted to be in the right spot, the right season, the right time with the Lord. And he's been kind of breaking down over time that that can lead to a state of perfectionism where quite literally you're, you're goal-oriented and you're, you're not allowing yourself to rest in relationship, but you're constantly pushed by feeling like you have to achieve the next thing or else you're not going to receive what he has for you. And he's been revealing to me, he's like, look, if anybody on this podcast is struggling with perfection, they're struggling with, you know, I'll I'll give you an example. One thing is, well, I didn't read the Word today. Oh, well, I I didn't go to church this Sunday. And then all of a sudden you feel shame, guilt, condemnation hit you like a ton of bricks. I want to just talk to you guys and minister to you guys on that because that's not how relationship with God works. That's not how relationship with Him works at all. And He loves you just as much. He's not looking for your performance he's not looking for what you're doing for him because he took me into my kitchen this that morning after he had asked me that question and he gave me a picture. He said you realize that I perfected myself for you so that you didn't have to become perfect and we could be made whole when we're conjoined together, right? And so if you look at the scripture Paul talks about, it's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. It's quite literally The Holy Spirit, it is Jesus covering you now by his blood, by his sacrifice, everything. You're covered. When the Father looks at you as a son of God, as a daughter of God, he sees Jesus. He doesn't see your mistakes. He doesn't see your past. And I got the most vivid example of that. I literally saw myself standing on the altar of a wedding, and it was my salvation day. It was the day that I had decided to say yes to Jesus. And he's just looking at me, and he sees everything in my past, my current, and my future. And he looks at me and he says, yeah, I want you. I want you and I gave myself for you so that you could live. And some guys might get weirded out by that bride of Christ. It's okay. But he basically told me, he's just like, I love you. And there's nothing you can ever do to change that. And I want the best for you. And I was like, man, God, how can you love me this immensely? He's like, because I'm not looking to you for perfection. I'm not looking to you to achieve some type of point. I'm not looking to you to, to fulfill this in your own ability. He's like, I've already satisfied everything. And I literally saw, the Bible talks about how Jesus is the mediator between God and man. And I I want you to understand my heart in this imagery because I'm not saying that Jesus is opposed to God whatsoever, but we're covered by him. I saw Jesus holding up his hand with the Father, and he's got his hand placed over my heart. He's got his hand placed over me. And he's like, this is now my bride, and they've been covered by my sacrifice. They've now been covered from the wrath of God, right? It's now been satisfied. It's now been satiated. And that's when the Lord brought me into Jairus, you realize there is no way you can't connect with me anymore because as sinners, you were saved, right? As children, you were adopted, and as a bride, you've been wed, okay? And he said, how can a child receive a father that's not their own? There's two ways that that happens usually, right? It's through adoption and through marriage. And he's like, you've now been wed with Jesus, and I'm now your father-in-law, right? Your father. And he's like, you can now come to me because every time I look at you, I see him and his joy for you is through the roof. It's amazing. It's, it's awesome. So Wow,
0: that's really good. And I'm just going to talk to anyone in the audience. And if you're thinking this, yeah, but you don't know what I've done. I'm here to tell anyone listening today, and it's very important that you listen to this. If you would have been the only person living on earth, mm-hmm. Christ would have died For you, That goes to anyone listening today. Jairus, I'm going to ask you one more favor, if you would. Go ahead and lead us in a prayer for anyone who has yet to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior.
1: All right, so with everybody listening, I just ask you wherever you're at, if you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, I just want you to pray this after me. Father, I believe that you sent Jesus to die for my sins to die on the cross, to save me from sin and hell and eternal punishment. Father, I ask that you would forgive me of all of the sins that I've done. And I thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Jesus, I accept you into my heart. I believe that God raised you from the dead. I believe that you now live seated at the right hand of the Father. In Jesus' name.
0: Amen. Amen. Friends, if there's anyone listening today and you repeated that prayer, or if you have any questions about anything you heard today, I ask that you reach out to me on my Facebook page, Bill Kelly, K-E-L-L-E-Y. And if you have any specific questions, reach out to me on Messenger. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you, and give you peace. Friends, please join me again tomorrow as we further explore wisdom today.